Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Joining the show today is Hugo Lavallee, Montreal-based Fidelity Canada portfolio manager, who joins host Pamela Ritchie for a portfolio update and a look at how he is applying his contrarian investing style to his funds in this year's choppy markets. Hugo, who recently celebrated his 20-year anniversary with Fidelity, has long managed Fidelity Greater Canada Fund and Canadian Opportunities Fund. He also manages Fidelity Climate Leadership Fund, launched in May 2021, which is a global equity strategy designed to reduce the risks and benefit from opportunities created by the global decarbonization trend. As 2022 comes to a close, it's important to highlight and dissect areas of the market that gain momentum and investor interest to help shape the trends of 2023. One area that continues to gain traction is the ESG movement, and investors continue to modify and evolve their strategies to align with today's fluid market conditions. Today, Hugo and Pamela unpack what ESG strategies advisors and investors should consider leading into 2023, and look at what's on the horizon for climate leadership in the new year. Reflecting on his current positioning, Hugo shares his European exposure is growing, as there is an opportunity to create a double positive involving both capital gain on stocks and exchange rates. He also notes that he and his team look to find strong companies at a cheap valuation as the market dampens, sharing that when the market is uncomfortable, it leads you to buy cheap stocks, and the stocks are cheap because they are uncomfortable. Today's podcast was recorded on November 15th, 2022. And for anyone interested in French content from Hugo, please check out our Dialogues Fidelity podcast channel. Hugo also spoke with Charles Denis, VP Regional Sales Quebec, and that discussion will be featured there. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. So so let's begin a bit with the markets. What does a guy like you, we know your approach is contrarian. What do you do with markets like this? Well, I just feel like the market's been coming my way, right? It's been a, a tough year for the markets, a real uh, bear market. And I try to separate the personal from the professional, right? So there's all these wor- these reasons to be worried and negative on the personal life and, and war, and it feels like the world's shrinking and interest rates. But at work, what I really try to do and what I've done in the past is lean in with the analysts on cheap stocks, right? So the market until recently, the Nasdaq's down 30%. There's been some real pain out there. There's hedge funds blowing up. There's pain from higher rates. And what can we look at? What prices can we lean in? And that's really, I think, one of my strengths is to look at, you know, we've got some situations, we've got some companies, we've got some compounders. They're having a really, really tough year. And I think what we went through this earnings season has been really important because you know, we've been talking for like nine months that the market's falling, but the earnings estimates haven't really fallen. And they finally started falling after Q3, right? Yeah, exactly. So the companies, it's more like a regular recession, right? Because during COVID, the stock market was adjusting so much faster than the companies could. Uh, but now we, it's, it, it reminds me more of a garden variety recessions where the companies are coming in and saying, 
you know, what our, our revenues are under pressure, advertising's under pressure, our clients are a little bit more frugal, and you're you're seeing margins compression. So it's good that we're, you know, in a way, the negative earnings season for a lot of companies, it's good because it's part of that cleansing process. So as prices fall, for me, it's just an opportunity to lean in. And, you know, Pamela, what I'm really focused on with the analysts is give me a price where you think company XYZ, the stock can double over three to five years. And if it can double over three to five years, we're going to beat the market. We're going to be fine. And there's just more opportunities like that now than nine months ago. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how the market is, you know, doing what a market does really, you know, rewarding and taking away and because we, we are seeing that. I mean, there's there's been some sort of wow action out there in the market. What, what do you see sort of from your perspective? What do you what are you looking at? Yeah, I think the, simplistically, the one thing I've been really focused on and the one thing I wanted to tell clients this morning was I think the market's going to force behavioral change with the management teams and with some of the board of directors, right? So all of a sudden it's less fun and the, the market's sending different signals. So before for a lot of companies, and you know, I'm not here to debate if it was right or wrong, but it was, you know, grow your top line, don't focus on profits, right? Don't focus on cash flow. And th- those days are are gone. And we can look back at history, you know, in a few years, how it was just a very special moment in time, but everybody was trying to be like Amazon in the 90s. And that ship has sailed, right? The cost of capital has gone up. The the risk-free rate's gone up. And what you're seeing is companies are being punished for keep on following that strategy. And eventually, especially in North America, people don't like losing, right? You know, your stock price is down 70, 80%. You're not as popular at the Friday, you know, cocktail party, you know, when you're meeting a bunch of other CEOs, uh, you know, people mock you. Um, If you're on the board, right, it's a cozy board and things are well. And all of a sudden you got angry investors calling in, unhappy, and that leads to change. You got employees that are dissatisfied because their stock options are way underwater. And you're starting seeing it now. I think the market's going to force companies to pivot. And you're already seeing it. So what we've seen is companies where I'm going to keep investing my business. My top line's going to go to the moon. And now the top line's under pressure, right? But they're still investing and the margins are compressing. And those stock prices are getting really being punished. And I think what you're going to see is behavioral change. And you're starting to see it, right? Like the S&P 500, companies are starting to layoffs because the world's changed. And I think they need to adapt. And I mean, the CapEx story in general with, with the rising cost of capital is that, I mean, that's not a new story. We, we've been known that, we've known that for months, but do, do you see there's sort of a rubber hitting the road at this point? A hundred percent. So it's CapEx and OpEx, right? That's what the, that's what the com- companies can control. And, you know, they'll find their way. But what I like to remind clients is, you know, in general, it's been a tough earnings season where you're seeing margin compression. Eventually you see the opposite, Right. You've see, you see companies, they've adjusted their cost base and all of a sudden revenues accelerate when, whenever that is. And you see margin expansion. And those are really, that's really powerful for stock prices. So I think it's just, for me, it's positive what's happened that, you know, we, we're seeing CPI coming a little bit below expectation. We're in the business of second derivatives, right? 
We're not in the business of absolute. I mean, the CPI on Thursday was the same as it was earlier this year. But and it's today, the PPI, I mean, looking at that. Exactly. that was but it's just perceived completely differently because we're in the business of second derivatives, right? It's important to, re to remind us and the clients that. So what I try to do with the analysts, and you know, I'm, I'm in uh, Toronto this week, working with the almost 25 analysts we have here, what prices do we lean in? You know, we're gone training season. What do we see? What do we engage with boards of directors to, you know, try to have some changes? And I don't know, it just feels it's a little bit right up my alley versus nine months ago. And I'm working really hard to try to reposition the funds. Tell us a little bit about the global the global situation, which which maybe we should on some level ignore it, but there's there's been a real focus on macro, and that you know that has sort of driven the markets. Obviously, we know that. Which pieces of it do you look at? Do you look at the midterms? You obviously look at the Fed. Everyone does. Um, what are you trying to sort of block out and actually take from? It's always uh, just how much is discounted, right? So, for example, I was noticing personally that over me doing some marketing with some clients over the last few weeks, there was just a lot of fear on um, the world getting smaller and macro um, political uncertainties, right? We got the war on one end in Europe, we got China, US. And, and what I like to remind clients is, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and they've been some really messed up times, right? Over the last 20 years, right? Working for a US firm and a high rise post 9-11 was, wasn't super comforting. November of 08, Pamela, you'll remember that when the Congress uh, struck down TARP. You know, you're wondering if we're going to have a financial system. I remember when my wife brought the kids early from school on a Thursday during COVID and not really knowing what was going to happen. Right. I made sure to open a nice bottle of wine that night, not a cheap one, because I don't know if, you know, what was going to happen. Right. I'm not going to drink the cheap stuff now if we're all going to die. So, you know, there's these moments in time that are really messed up and sad, but you got you to gotta push that aside and be a little bit optimistic, right? So, you know, obviously we'll see this incredibly like tragedy, tragedy in Europe, but, you know, we'll see what happened. But already this morning, right, we get a little bit more positive news on China, US, right? So what does that, can I go into the climate discussion just on that? Because there had been, you know... A long time ago now, one of the, the threads of cooperation was actually going to be on climate. And then, of course, the world collapsed because of COVID. But is that back on? I think so. I think it's good to see that China news this morning. You know, it's, it's heartwarming on more collaboration with the U.S. But I think it's, it's just on for three reasons. I mean, you got decarbonization, but more importantly, in a way, and more importantly, in the short term, if you're a country, how do you control inflation? How do you separate yourself and control your own destiny from rogue nations, right? Energy security. And you can hit all three with all form, you know, with, with, with renewables. And that's what I tell clients. Like it's, it's, it's even more relevant now post-February 24th. And it's to each its own, right? Like different countries have different solutions that they need to consider. You know, for France, it might be nuclear. For um, Denmark, it's wind. But you need all forms of energy, and how do you separate yourself? How do you control your own energy security? And we have these options that weren't there 50 years ago, and we just have to use them, right? And I think the war, unfortunately, has put the spotlight back on, uh, hey, you can't depend on these nations that marginalize women, marginalize minorities, invade other countries. Not every country is freedom-loving, energy-producing, like Canada and the United States. 
there's very few of those actually in the world. And, yeah, no, and, I mean, it's it's an amazing position that Canada finds itself in. And that, so, and that so works German, well. You need, to, you need to make a pivot. And if you're a corporate German company, right, if you're BMW, and you don't even know, it, it's a, it's the it's industrial you know, power base of Europe, right, Germany? And you don't even know if you'll have access to energy and at what price this winter. You need as a corporate to pivot, find your own solutions. And renew renewables are just part of that. Do you see that happening in Germany? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, some of the companies that I own in the solar space, they see such strong demand from their European corporate customers. And it's just one of the solutions, but you need these solutions to become more independent and control your own destiny. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about small caps because that's an area that you obviously excel in. It's an area we always talk about. But actually small caps sort of in light of maybe the the clean energy side of things. You just mentioned that that every country has to have kind of its own thing depending on what they need. What, what does that do for sort of maybe smaller companies, not the global players, but smaller companies that might be of interest to you? Yeah, when you talk small cap, I don't. I mean, it's very relevant to the climate fund, but I think it's really relevant to all my funds, frankly. That's one area I've been leaning in. You know, I do have a little bit of a small cap expertise. Every time the market falls, the one thing that gets clobbered the most is the small cap stocks, right? Um, this earnings season's been a little bit unusual with the S&P 550 uh, taking on the chin, but small caps have been really tough. And one area I've been leaning in for all my funds is small cap technology. There's just a lot of cheap stocks there. You got to remember, like one thing I do quite well is balance sheet investing. And I consider an area of expertise. So companies are cheap versus the cash on the balance sheet. And, you know, a lot of companies raised capital last year when things were frothy. And because of that, they have very good balance sheets. I mean, you got excellent balance sheets and as a general comment in technology. And some of these stocks have been absolute disasters, like down 90%. And they're starting to approach the cash on the balance sheet. And, and in my experience, because I lived it through 0203, I lived it through 0809, those are good times to lean in. Uh, the story sounds bad. They're not making money, but they have the balance sheet to survive and they have the balance sheet to pivot. And normally there's like three things that happen. Ma management either figures it out or gets the boot. They start making money or they sell the company. And, uh, and you know sometimes they'll hit a product cycle and they'll take them. But I remember, I like I remember October of '02, Research in Motion was eight dollars a share with six bucks in that cash, and it was it wasn't a really good sounding story. A year later, they hit a product cycle. The stock was a hundred bagger, and you know you don't need a lot of those in your fund to make a big difference. And now I'm not predicting the next Research in Motion, but what I'm saying is I'm really leaning in into these small cap tech that are just completely abandoned. And you know we have the analysts focusing on them, and I'm going to own a basket of them, and I think some of them are going to be really good stocks over the next three years. Fascinating. Just following on from that, some of the things that you mentioned about management, you know, having to having to act if they if they need to. So your thoughts on the earnings season? I mean, we actually have seen some real action in some cases, haven't we, from management? But what do you think about earnings overall? Yeah. So the earnings have come in pretty tough because. Managements were planning for, they, they've been slow to react, right? So they were planning for a continuation of po, you know, post-COVID, you know, good times and investing in the business and we need to beat the competition and here and there. And instead they're seeing weakness in their top line. And it's leading to real margin compression. 
But one, one thing I don't do is I don't focus on the next 12 months earnings because if you do that, oftentimes the stocks will go down, but they look even more expensive. So you're never going to buy them. So one tool that I use is what was the previous peak earnings? Can they get back to that? So Can we're talking pre-COVID in some cases? Well, some it's pre-COVID. For some, it's actually uh, COVID, right? Like late 2020, early 2021. For some companies, their peak of earnings was 2021. And do you have clarity um, on on the ones that just won't get back to? I mean, well, I think that's the magic, right? Some you got to use your brain, and some of them, some of them have such strong COVID sales and rev and earnings that okay, they're probably not going to get back there. But some of them, there's no reason why they won't. And and that and it's just a it's just another tool in the toolbox, right? It's not the end all, but to know that hey, this stock is. Eight times, like well, there's one, I can't name it because I've been active in it, but there's one name that, you know, stock's been clobbered, the company's pivoting, they're cutting OPEX, it's eight times their COVID peak earnings. You know, it's, it's cheap, right? If, if you're in that eight to 15 times, you know, previous peak earnings, it can, and you think you're going to get back there, it gives you a framework, okay, I think I'm going to compound my capital here. And I can lean in, especially if they have the balance sheet. And the other thing we're doing, Pamela, that I think is more than more than like six, nine months ago, we're talking to boards. Like we're expressing our disagreement, our discontent with some board of directors. And that's I'm not very, just I'm listening, but talking to. OK, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. We're talking to them. And, you know, we do that in the background. I think it's important. I'm not going to name any names, but I think it's I think it's important that the clients know that. So there's one Swiss company that we've been talking to the board. Uh, there's a Canadian company we're talking to the board on Monday. There's a U.S. company that, you know, name everybody knows. It's been a real underperformer. We're talking to the board. So we're telling, we're talking, we're engaging. We're trying to affect change a little bit. Um, it's good. It's good. We're, we're rolling up our sleeves, try to create opportunities, try to, you know, focus on some opportunities. And uh, we're not just sitting there being passive. Um, we're trying to find new opportunities try to talk to companies. And you know what? Sometimes just engaging in the board, that's a catalyst because, you know, you might have a board member who's very qualified, but he, maybe he or she's semi-retired. They thought it was a cozy job. And all of a sudden, you know, investors are telling them, hey, you know, it's not great. It's not fun. People like to be liked. People like to win, right? It's human nature. And sometimes that just leads to catalysts down the road. Like we won't know these catalysts, right? Because they're not going to tell us uh, that's MNPI. But, you know, us engaging, expressing our views, sometimes it leads to change and change can be good in our business. And, you know, I think we got to stay positive in these moments that people sometimes they just extrapolate the status quo. This company has been losing money. Well, some company, if you're not, if they're never going to make money, it's not going to be a good investment. But if a company can go from not making money to making money, just like the famous Peter Lynch Chrysler story. That's very powerful. That those are like the best stocks. The absolute best stocks, uh, like RIM or Apple, are the stocks that go from not making money to making money, and that's super powerful. And uh, that's what I'm trying to focus on. It's such an interesting time. It must be absolutely fascinating for you right now, looking at some of these. Um, so a couple, a question has come in and asking you to talk more about any kind of repositioning that you're doing, trying to get a sense of what that means. So can you give us some more uh, broad strokes or more specifics? Names that everybody knows uh, that have had a tough earnings season. I can't name them, but focused on those. 
Small cap tech, we've talked about that. There's a lot of cheap stocks, even in Canada. A ton of orphans, like orphans. Small cap tech stocks, 100 million market cap, 150 million market cap, 200 million market cap, focused on those. Focused on industrials. Some of them, you're buying them because you think, well, we're in a recession. Eventually, they'll come out of that. Some of the companies that I own, they've actually had a really tough COVID because they've had supply chain issues. They've had labor issues. And the recession is making it a little bit easier for them. So their second derivative is actually inflecting. So focused on that. And then consumer discretionary, which I always do a lot of. Travel? Are you still looking at travel? Travel, the sort of reopening discussion? Anything left? Well, travel is not too contrarian because everybody's focused on more like goods. You know, it's been a great year to be in consumer staples, like safety, like grocery, Dollarama. I think it's not a bad time to start focusing on the opposite. You know, what's what's brought down their earnings? What have brought down their earnings estimates? Um, I mean, I do own a little bit of travel, but what I'm really focused on on who's who's who can win now and who can really win in the future, and which stocks which stocks are discounting enough bad news uh, that the because there's so many stocks in consumer discretionary that have been cut in half this year, and it's right up my wheelhouse. And, you know, it used to be X and it got expensive and now it got cut in half. And we think there's a path to making a really strong returns over the next. So the, the, the money's been invested. There's less safe stocks, safe meaning consumer staples in my fund than before. And uh, there's a little bit more cyclical. There's a little bit more risk, cyclical risk, cyclical stocks. And you're seeing it, right? You're seeing in the funds. If you look at Greater Canada, if you look at Canadian Ops, if you look at all my funds, how they reacted on Thursday, on Friday, just that CPI being a little bit less than expected um, makes a really big change to a lot of stocks. And that's how I'm trying to position the fund. So just remind us a little bit on, you know, it sounds like how good Canada looks right now, but, but also what is your universe in terms of where you can go outside of North America if you want to? Yeah, so every place is a little bit different. Canada, I think, you know, we still create these great companies and I think Fidelity is really good at finding them. I, I am worried about Canadian consumer. So everything that's, I'm really scrubbing the Canadian consumer. I, I tend to have not a lot of those in my fund. I just think we're just a little bit exposed to higher rates. You know, in Canada, everybody rates reset after five years. We've had expensive real estate. We'll be, we'll be in a great place over 10 years. Like, we got a great immigration policy. We're seeing a lot of great companies being built in Canada. That's not the problem. It's not a secular problem. It's just cyclically, you know, residential construction has been a really big part of our economy and that ship sailed a little bit, right? And home prices are under pressure and that's going to challenge a little bit of our consumer. In the U.S., the U.S. consumer is a little bit in a better shape, but they've done really well, right? The U.S. dollar has been really strong. So I'm buying some U.S. stocks been out of favor, but in general, one way I've been pivoting is a little bit more towards Europe, which historically I haven't done a lot of. But, you know, if you're thinking from a Canadian perspective, Europe is really like taking in the teeth. They're, they're going to face a really difficult winter. Everybody knows that. Uh, there are a lot of cyclically depressed stocks over there. And as a Canadian consumer, Canadian investor, um, I can buy stocks in euros, in British pounds that have fallen versus Canadian dollar, right? So, I'm thinking that if I'm buying a European cyclical today, I might get double positive, right? I can get currency plus the stock going up. Um, so definitely a little bit more cyclic uh, European exposure than before. Not not like 
the majority of the fun, uh, but definitely more than I've ever done. And I think it's just the right thing to do. And I can lean in on Fidelity over there, right? I think we, I think we got over 50 European analysts. We got a European trading desk in London. We got uh, Shauna, who does a great job on everything like um, private placements in Europe, IPOs in Europe. So we got a lot of resources there. And I'm just trying to lean in on that a little bit more. Is there a particular criteria that you're looking for in companies? And, and that might be thematic or, or maybe not. Has anything changed there in terms of you know criteria that you're looking for for climate leadership? Now, climate, I think I've been very consistent over the last, since the launch of the fund last 18 months. It's it's climate first. So I really try to build a fund that, that respects that. I leave, I leave a little bit of leeway for contrarian investing that they're not climate negatives, but I take all of Fidelity research, put it to a climate lens, and it's the one factor I focus on, like the, that decarbonization, that's our North Star. The one thing I've changed a little bit running the fund is instead of trying to predict the next big business, that's like losing a ton of money and, oh, don't worry, they'll make a lot of money in the future. I mean, there's five, to be honest, there's five or seven stocks I'd like to take, get back, right? So what I've, what I've tried to do, I need to do a better stock job stock picking is instead of trying to predict the next big, th- big thing, let me look at good ROIC companies, but I think there's a climate tailwind. So, so I'm trying to look more like industrial companies and try, instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, there's some, if you look at, there's so many companies in industrials, there's so many companies in consumer. Some of them are, a lot of them are good businesses. Some of them are going to face a climate headwind. Some of them are going to face a climate tailwind that's going to add to their revenues. Transportation, railroads, for example, they're, I think they're going to take share for the next 20 years over trucking. Because if you're Nike, for example, and you're, you got a really strong move to zero in 2035, one way you need to decarbonize is how you bring, um, um, goods to customers. One easy way to c- cut your carbon footprint is to move from trucking to railroad. So, you know, like these small things, think about all scope three emissions. So it's a small change. I think it's an important one, I think the fund, but the, the, the decarbonization trend, and it's even stronger, like we talked about, Pamela, post February 24th, post invasion, that energy security is, puts it even more on the spotlight. So the trend is as powerful as ever, uh, I just need to, you know, do a good job on the stock picking side. Would you would you say that you're getting aggressive at this point in some of the moves? Like, are you really moving? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to be. I mean, I think you see it, right? You saw it last Thursday's uh, last Thursday. You saw in the funds. I mean, you know, at some point you gotta you gotta feel uncomfortable. You know, at some point when stocks are cheap enough, I was telling. I don't know if that's gonna come out the right way, but I was telling one of my really good. PM friend that I exchange with every day, Connor Gordon, I was telling him two weeks ago, I'm starting to scare myself a little bit. You know, I'm leaning in and risk so much that I'm, it's starting to feel a little scary, but, but scary is okay. Like you got to feel a little bit uncomfortable at the bottom. It always feels un- uncomfortable. I'm not, not saying we've seen the bottom, but what I'm saying is during COVID, it felt uncomfortable during 0809, it felt uncomfortable, but uncomfortable leads you to buying cheap stocks, right? If, they're cheap because they're uncomfortable, right? I mean, they don't, if they sounded amazing and, you know, they're going to be expensive, right? So on a relative basis. So I, I lean in, I do what I, I'm not, I just do what I always do. And uh, hopefully that leads to strong returns when things get a little bit better. And it's just part of my style. It's part of who I am. I, I think it just comes to me a little bit easier than most. Dealing with uncertainty, 
dealing with being uncomfortable. I'm very comfortable in my skin. And uh, sometimes you just gotta be a little bit different. And uh, it leads to a little bit of a different fun than others, but that's how I, I've, I've been able to be successful. Great to see you, Hugo Lavalo. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Pamela. Thanks to you, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Pamela Ritchie. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.